the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Friday, May 28th, 2021, as we head into Memorial Day weekend. I'm asking anyone if they have stories of uh, fallen soldiers, soldiers who fell in uh, defending this, the last best hope of uh, Earth. Love to hear that story. If you missed my monologue, I uh, dedicated my monologue to Memorial Day and what it means and should mean for us. We'll do a little more of that in the show uh, this hour as well. And uh, as I say, open line Fridays, anything on your mind is welcome to 602 With all the sturm and drang, and those are the right words for it, that the Democrats have been trying to make of January 6th, they failed today in the Senate to get the vote necessary to approve a January 6th investigation committee commission much like they had tried to analogize it to the 9-11 commission one of the things i was worried about you just sit back and wait a few minutes use the line my producer used what uses what took you so long i knew the comparisons would come i knew the comparisons of jan 6 and 9-11 would of course come uh, george will has given voice to it to former congressmen have written an op-ed in The Hill saying we must address this new wave of anti-democratic violence head-on with the same vigor we mustered after September 11th. And then, of course, the winner was the Huffington Post's White House correspondent, the Huffington Post White House correspondent who tweeted this was 1,000% worse than 9-11. You got that? January 6th was 1,000% worse. Worse than 9-11. Pretty bold view. I want to address all of this. In a sense, though, Charles gives voice to the tragedy of it all. For on this Memorial Day weekend, he writes, It saddens me to think, and the time going forward, our children will remember January 6th as more important than June 6th. June 6th, of course, being D-Day. There's a lot to say about January 6th. There's a lot to say about this commission and the way it's been ratcheted up to be as important as the 9-11 commission. I'll say something about that in a moment, too. But first, our old buddy Doug in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. How you doing, Seth? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, great show, as Thanks. always. Thanks. Um you know, uh, this kind of Memorial Day weekend, I was thinking of a friend of mine. He didn't fall in the war, but he fell, uh, you know, about 10 years ago due to complications of uh, Agent Orange um, that he got in Vietnam. And he was an interesting character because uh, with the grace and dignity that he exited life in, 
I think he exhibited his whole life. Um, he was a tail gunner um, in a Huey helicopter, and uh, they were basically sent in when you had patrols that were trapped in rice fields. And as they were dropping in, they were nothing but a broad target of machine guns. And oftentimes he would say, you know, the whole jungle would light up with machine gun fire. And basically his job was standing out there in the broad open, firing back. And um, oftentimes the, the gunner, the machine gunner, and they would drop right into that rice paddy as a broad target to pick up those 6 or 12 or 18 soldiers. They were brave as all get out, sometimes coming back with 18, 20 holes in their Huey. That was a heck of a machine. But to stand out in broad daylight while the machine was being shot up, and I asked him, how did you do that? How did you have that kind of courage? And he said, at some point, you basically have to assume you're dead and that way you can just let it go and not because the fear of dying actually paralyzes you and, and can kill you. So you have to just oh, let sure. it go. Oh, sure. That makes its own sense, the way you describe it. Yeah. Sure it does. Yeah. 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 And so that it was an, he was an interesting character after the war. He was a black belt. I've never met a man that was totally fearless. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing scared him, but knowing that he should have lived a life expectancy of two to three weeks, and he was on that Huey for uh, three years mm-hmm. and um, wounded, but uh, literally a broad target. They drop right in. He also said he doesn't know how many people he killed mm-hmm. because he had to shoot into the jungle, mm-hmm. and he basically the people he was aiming for were unseen. Mm-hmm. Um, but... but when he was dying of the Agent Orange, he had the same grace and courage that he lived his life. Uh, wow. Quite quite a man. You know? Wow. No one knows how they're going to yeah. face that until they do. And then you watch yeah. people do it that kind of way. They instruct you on how to die as oh. much as how to live, don't they? Yeah. That, yeah. that was his last lesson, yeah. how to gracefully exit with the same courage and grace and dignity and humor he lived his life. It was it was. A sight to behold. He was quite some person. Well, we remember and salute him. That's fantastic yeah. uh, memory, Doug. Thank you for that, sir. You bet. And and then you were talking about the conservatism versus the Republican yeah. Party. Now, yeah. I, I cannot remember the exact race. I have it written down at home, but I'm out in my car today. Um, I remember there was a race back in the 90s out on the, on the West Coast, and the Republican lost uh, by, you know, it was like 50, uh, like, Oh, God, it was like uh, 48, uh, 47, you know, and he lost. And uh, But when you actually looked closer, the uh, Constitution Party had 1% or 2%, and the Libertarian Party had 3%. And if you put all the, the conservative uh, parties together, the Republican and all those other ones, we actually should have won that. Mm. And... That made me think of something, uh, because I think we as Republicans need to be, as and conservatives and libertarians, we all got to rally around our conservative party, because you can tell by my calls in the last year, I have plenty of gripes about our inability to articulate an agenda and fight for it with the, and control the narrative like the Democrats. But I hold to this Republican Party. It is my vehicle to fight against the Democrats. The Democrats hold together gay 
Green Party, everything, they hold together and use the Democratic Party as the best vehicle to push their agenda. And I think uh, I think of this, whether libertarian or whether it's the establishment Romney types who, who sabotage our party, I think we got to stop that and really just fight for the party as the best platform to push the agenda. Well, and, put good uh, people in it. I mean, put good people in yes. it. Uh, it's yes. interesting how fast we stopped talking of another party. Remember there was talk of a right. new party two, three oh, months yeah. ago? It's amazing how oh, yeah. fast we stopped talking about it. I, I'm fine with that. I'm glad we have. I believe it would be a waste of time and resources to create a new party. Um, yes. I, I think it's a very hard thing to do, and, and I think the Republican Party has plenty – Plenty to commend itself when you think that this is the party um, that people with names like Abraham Lincoln, Calvin Coolidge, and Ronald Reagan chose. Um, oh yeah, it, you know, Donald Trump. I it, it's 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 a party that um, that is in need of um, of certain reform, um, and that reform is no different than the need um, uh, that this country has. It's it's reform based on its foundations. If you turn back to its founding principles, there's nothing about it. There's nothing about those founding principles and a better hewing to them that wouldn't cure the the ailments this country has or our party has. Whether we're talking the foundational elements of the Republican Party in 1856 or whether we're talking about the foundational elements of the United States of America in 1776. Yes. Uh, it, and I'd like to add to that, Seth, if you look at not only did we have great founding principles as a party, but we boldly talked about those and pushed it, and we didn't accommodate, try to accommodate the Democrats of the time who were, you know, accommodated to slavery. And the, you know, and, and literally like McClellan when he ran against Lincoln, Trying to, he was basically the surrender party of the Civil That's War. Right. That's right. Uh, you know, we did not sit there and try to talk sweet and Romney our way out of the Civil War. We stood for the, boldly for those principles, and we rallied the American populace to our side. No more McClellan, no more McClellans, no more Romneys. You want to, you want to yep. put that bumper sticker on your car with me, Doug? Oh, I'm hand making. Uh, all right, all right, brother. <laughs> Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for everything. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Bill, we were talking about adding to the list of lies, but we actually only reprised yesterday's. We didn't uh, get to the other one. By the way, listener Mike has one. Do we have this on the list? Follow the science, or I follow the science, listen to the science, follow the scientists. Is that on the list? It might be. It may not be. If it isn't, it's a good one for Mike to add to our list of great lies. We we had it down as listen to the science. Fair enough. Mike, we're on the same page. Now, did you, you said you had one more big lie to add? I did. This one is simpler. Once Trump is out of office, the never-Trumpers will go back to normal. Right. They did not go they back did to not. normal. They did not. That's right. They're putting out ads on January 6th. Boy, do they need a life. 
And boy, did that new organization of Republicans, how many was it, 100? Remember that organization of 100 Republicans that put out a letter trying to recapture the Republican Party? Came out about two weeks ago. Boy, that that's just been that's just been tearing up the country, hasn't it? You said you had a third one that was a little bit more iffy. Did you want to share that with the audience, or is it not quite ripe? I had written down sleep on it, and it might be one of those deals where I didn't write enough notes. I don't remember what that was about. Did I tell you to sleep on it? Either you told me to write sleep on it or just to sleep on it. Maybe that's the problem. I told you to sleep on it. So from now on, when I want you to forget something you're nagging me about. Oh, that's good. Good stuff. Just tell you to sleep on it. Brilliant. Do people say that a lot? I'll sleep on it when they don't want to give an answer, hoping you'll forget about it. Well, Meatloaf said it a lot. Let's take us. He did? Let yes, me sleep on yes, it. Yes, he did. Paradise by the Vash Dashboard Lights. You're absolutely right. He most certainly did, Ollie. Uh, you're right about that. The January 6th commission went down, but what I, I am just bewitched by is the more and more we learn about it, this, this is kind of an inverse rule of politics, the more and more we learn about January 6th, the less and less of a violent insurrection it becomes, right? You remember how it started, radicals, revolutionaries taking over the country, putting the democracy at risk. Uh, commandeering the House of Representatives, five or six people killed. Thank God, more weren't. Something like that. That was the original narrative. And then, of course, the honoring of the Sicknick family. And Officer Sicknick, who was laying in state, his remains were put in state as a reminder of how reactionary Republicans in the conservative movement were. Very rare to have someone in Officer Sicknick's position lined in state. And then we learn he wasn't killed in the insurrection or the riot or whatever the word is you want to attach to it. He wasn't. He died a couple days later from a stroke or hemorrhage. And now we have the situation where instead of thousands of people taking over the Capitol— it was something under the neighborhood of 400. And most of the charges are trespassatory, nonviolent. And there have been no weapons charges and no weapons confiscations. Thus, the more we learn about and and we, and we learn about the ragtag various views, this was not a directed insurrection with a political aim of any bill of particulars. This was anarchy by 400 fools or 400 people acting foolishly, to be sure dangerously, to be sure illegally. But as something that implies this country was in any at any point under duress or threat that we faced down another threat to our democracy, as Joe Biden put it in his State of the Union, is so supercilious, hyperbolic, it's hard to take seriously. So that the more you learn about it, this is the inverse rule, the more you learn about it and the less dangerous or violent it seems to have been as you learn about it, the greater the rhetorical ratcheting up 
of how dangerous it was. This this is the leftist tool. There's there's no the 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 border is secure according to the Department of Homeland Security, and they can get away with saying that by not sending any senior administration officials down there who would attract the press's attention so that you can see for your own two eyes what's going down there, which is why I went there on Monday. So I could see it with Andy and Mike. And thus we have the same thing with what's going on on January 6th. We cannot hear from the people who have been arrested, some of whom have been put in jails and prisons outside their residences on charges they still are waiting to be able to address in a court of law, January 6th, trespassatory charges, trespass charges. So they ratchet up the rhetoric. And we get the White House correspondent for the Huffington Post and George Will and others, but the White House correspondent for the Huffington Post winning the cake by saying this was a thousand percent worse than 9-11, January 6th was. No loss of life, 1,000% worse. Why? How does he get away with saying that? He gets away with saying it because he wrote that terrorists never threatened the heart of the American experiment. Quick, name me the ringleader of the January 6th effort. Oh, yeah, you'll be clever, Donald Trump. No, 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 no. Tell me someone who actually represents the violent terrorists or insurrectionists or trespassers. Give me a name. Give me a ringleading name. You cannot. You cannot. Deborah Burlingame takes particular umbrage at all this, as is her right. I've quoted her. I've interviewed her several times. She's someone I haven't seen in a while, and she is quoted in my first book, The Fight of Our Lives. She writes in the Wall Street Journal today, Democratic lawmakers want to establish a 9-11 style commission to investigate the siege of the Capitol on January 6th. She quotes George Will and others who compare it to 9-11 and then writes, The attempt to reconfigure the domestic terrorist narrative to fit the horrifying story of September 11th is profoundly disheartening. These two events are fundamentally different in nature, scope, and consequence. Mentioning them in the same breath not only diminishes the horror of what happened on 9-11, it tells a false story to the generation of Americans who are too young to remember that day nearly 20 years ago. Let me pause on that point. We take for granted and will be taking for granted this September that millions of Americans know what we even are talking about when we're talking about 9-11. 17-year-olds have no idea. 22-year-olds have no idea. They didn't see it the way we saw it. All the more reason to make it ripe for all the more propaganda. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. I just love those lyrics. As fierce as Monday morning feeling washed away, I orchestrated paradise. Couldn't make you stay. I just love that. I just love that. Leanne Womack and Willie Nelson. Just one more line from uh, Deborah Burlingame in her piece today. Members of Congress might have had a frightening day on January 6th, but on 9-11... 
200 people in the World Trade Center chose to jump from 80 to 100 floors above the ground rather than be consumed by fire. A woman waiting at a lobby elevator bank was burned over 8 or 2% of her body when jet fuel from the first plane sent a ball of fire down the elevator shaft into the lobby. She spent three months in a hospital burn unit and was permanently disfigured. Who knows these stories? There are countless harrowing stories like this of death, destruction, and heartbreaking loss. More than 3,000 children lost parents. Eight young children were killed on the planes. Recovery personnel found 19,000 human remains scattered all over lower Manhattan from river to river, including on rooftops and window ledges. Victims' remains were still being recovered years later by utility workers and construction crews. Some families received so many notifications of remains that they couldn't take it anymore and asked for them to stop. More than 1,100 families received nothing. Their loved ones went to work that morning and just disappeared. Brought down our national aviation system, shut down New York Stock Exchange. It destroyed and rendered uninhabitable 16 acres of Manhattan, including subway and commuter train lines. And U.S. troops are still in Afghanistan as a result. On January 6th, Congress went back to work that night. Do not compare January 6th to 9-11 if you want us to recognize anything about you as anything being moral. Rob is in surprise. Rob, hello. Hi, Seth. Uh, have, I want you and Bill both to have a very memorable Memorial Day weekend. Thank you. Uh, you too. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, I, I, yeah, Deborah Burlingame. I, uh, for some I, reason, I recall you you had a connection to the Burlingames. I, I did. Um, I worked with uh, Chick Burlingame's uh, brother, and uh, I actually communicated with Deborah several years back. Um, and she's she's right on the mark. And, yep. and just to bring up, you know, this this whole January six compares to nine eleven is just shameful. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, it, I just and wrong. It, I mean, there's just nothing even close. Well, right. I mean, it's cl- it's morally wrong in its degree of factual errancy. And then Absolutely. you have to ask what the motive is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we know what the answer is, of yeah. course, but. But it's just it's just shameful. I just wish more people understood the concept of shame. Yes. Because I think that's one of the many things that may be missing these days. It is. Anyway. I agree with um, you on that. Well, thank you. Um, one of the things um, I always think about when it comes to Memorial Day, most people associate... Someone once Memorial asked Day Newt Gingrich what he would, if he could wave a magic wand to fix society, what he would do. He said, get rid of adolescence. I think if someone asked me that question, I'd say, bring back shame. Well, interestingly enough, I remember when I think it was Colin Powell was on the Johnny Carson show way back when. And it was sort of the same question Johnny asked Colin Powell. And, and I think uh, Colin responded, you know, what, what's the one thing that seems to be wrong with American society? And, and Colin Powell even said, uh, it's that nobody has a sense of shame. Hmm. There is no, you know, when, when people say shame on you, you know, 100 years ago, that mattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days, well, people don't even say it anymore, but, but even 
then. This would have been, well, I guess in the late 80s or so. Yeah, uh, Colin Powell would have been a star for something like the Carson Show circa mm-hmm. late late 80s, early 90s. Late yeah. 80s, early yeah. 90s. Yeah. yeah, exactly. One of the things I've been thinking about, and of course I think Hold, hold that thought. It. Hold that thought, Rob. Sure. Let me, uh, okay. <laughs> let me take a um, avaricious profit break. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rob is in surprise. Thanks for waiting, Rob. Go ahead, sir. Well, thank you, sir. Um, yeah, in addition, on the 9-11, and I, I've mentioned this before, I had a former squadron mate, uh, Tom McGinnis, call sign Stout, who was the co-pilot on American Airlines 11, the first plane to fly into the World Trade Center. I can't remember if Chick Burlingame was in that plane or in the second plane. Chick did the Pen- was in the Pentagon. Oh, he was in the Pentagon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's that's kind of what I figured. And, and uh, it, it, you know, that still just gets me. Anyway, uh, back to the... Memorial Day thought, uh, when we think of those who have fallen uh, in the military, most of the time, you know, we think about those who have died in battle, in, in uh, combat, and so forth. But there are a lot of people uh, who uh, perish in the course of peacetime training. Oh, and, good point. Uh, and, and I Many more than people know. Many more than people realize. That's exactly right. And I, I think if you look up different definitions of Memorial Day, you will see many definitions include or say that um, it, it is to honor those uh, in the armed services who uh, lost their lives in service to their country. Mm-hmm. And when you have people that are, and again, I had, I think about 16 Naval Academy classmates of mine that were killed in aviation accidents in peacetime. Um, I had a couple that were lost in uh, the Beirut bombing. Um, and I was reading something from an old alumni from the class of 61, and he was saying, you know, his class lost 150 guys in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think about Vietnam a lot because, most of what went wrong there wasn't the guys in uniform. It was the best and the brightest in That's Washington right. that, that caused all that to happen, which is why more people need to pay a lot more attention to people uh, who are in Washington, who get elected, who make decisions. And what, this is one of the reasons why I'm just worried beyond belief with the current regime. Um, but anyway, um, I, I did want to bring up a couple of names. Uh, that I think about on Memorial Day. One is his name is Ivan Kinslow. Ivan Kinslow was one of those Air Force test pilot guys. He flew in uh, North. He flew against uh, the Korea, North Korea, China during the Korean War. He was also a, a test pilot at Edwards, who uh, was actually pushing the envelope in the Bell X two program after Chuck Yeager uh, in the X one. Now Ivan lost his life uh, flying an F one hundred four in uh, 1958, if I recall, and the F-104 uh, had a downward trajectory ejection seat. And apparently, you know, in a, in a downward trajectory ejection seat, you know, if you're too low to the ground, you're going to hit the ground. Yeah, darn yeah, right. And that's what happened. Uh. One, of the reasons I, one of the reasons I bring him up is that I visited his grave at Arlington, 
and uh, it's it's a you know the the guy was one of these aviation you know pioneers and giants, but again he lost his life in service to the country. Um, a second guy. You think you think, think of someone that. like that? You know, there's there's so many. So I'm thinking of Leslie McNair. Um, you know Fort McNair. Fort McNair. You know how Leslie McNair died. He was he was he was bombed by our own bombers in uh, in in uh, in Normandy. Oh God! Yeah, I may have remembered that, but you know, I've lost more memories than I have any. No, but this is right. I mean, this is the part. Yeah. You know, not 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 all of it is 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 what one expects from death in no. uniform. No, that's true. Um, a second name I remember is Harley Hall. Uh, he was a Navy commander. He was a former commanding officer of the Blue Angel, mm-hmm. and he is, uh, I guess, noted to be the last man in Vietnam killed in action, or at least uh, killed in, in aviation. You know, he got shot down and was killed. And he was the last casualty of the Vietnam War. And who was that? His name was Harley Hall. And that's got to be the coolest name. Yeah, that's Harley. a great name. Harley Hall. Yeah. 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 And, and again, you know, he was a former skipper of the Blue Angels, and so... You know, on that name alone, and and he was one of these poster boys. I mean, the guy was good looking, squared away, great guy. Um, and again, you know, notorious. And he had flown, you know, obviously hundreds of missions. And again, the last, uh, the last guy to lose his life in the Vietnam conflict. Um, the third guy who uh, is actually a Miramar legend. His name was John Roach, but his call sign was Bug. Bug Roach. He had flown F eight. Uh, from 1966, flew in Vietnam, a couple hundred combat missions, uh, went into uh, landing signal officer school, became legendary because he always ended up getting a flying billet and at Miramar, so he never had to move in like 26 years. Um, Bug, uh, and I knew him fairly well because we worked together on a couple projects at Miramar, um, Bug was known as uh, a very... Very colorful fighter guy. He had been <clears throat> a um, he had been noted for uh, safely landing a bunch of guys at night in bad weather with broken airplanes and barricade landings. And uh, this is what landing signal officers do. The guy was just incredible, and he saved a lot of lives doing that. And then he had flown, geez, at least five thousand flight hours and had a thousand carrier arrested landings or traps. Wow. So he had the street cred of a fighter pilot. And um, unfortunately, and this was, I think I was in London at the time, Bug was in the adversary squadron at Miramar, and he was flying an A-4 on approach to Miramar. And all of a sudden, you know, snakes in the cockpit, everything goes to hell in a handbasket, lots of hydraulics, lots of electricity. And anyway, he had to ride the plane in to avoid... Uh, uh, taking out uh, neighborhoods oh my gosh. like that. Yeah. So he ended up, the bug ended up basically giving his life still in uniform after... To uh, save others, though. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, about 26 years in uniform. Wow. Re- an incredible guy, and actually they have, uh, for what it's worth, I, I think that the, uh, the Tailhook Association has the Bug Roach Memorial, uh, and Bug was just, he was just a classic guy. I mean, he was into Corvettes, I think he had three or four wives, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast. But I always remember Bug. I remember Harley Hall. I remember Ivan Kinslow. And then I think about all the other folks, uh, both not just Navy, but Army, Air Force, Marine Corps, and even Coast Guard, who, who lose their lives in peacetime training accidents that 
that should also be remembered on mm. Memorial Day because they were they they gave their lives. You bet the they did. Country. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and many many people forget that. Anyway, no, it's Steph, it's I, a it's a good point. I'm getting emails right now. Our listener Don is telling me as much. People who flew in B fifty two training say this, saying uh, Rob is exactly right. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, Four crews were lost in in B fifty two training uh, in Don's experience. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, and I've seen a couple of B fifty two crashes, and they're not pretty. No, um, there was a poem in uh, nineteen fourteen. It was called "For the Fallen," it was written by a guy named Robert Boren Spinion. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's really too. Long, I have to the do the break, thing. my friend. All right. Yeah, let Will me take it for you. Let me take it for you. I think I can handle "For the Fallen" for you. I think I can. Okay. Think, uh, I'll yeah, give it. Good. I'll give it a shot anyway. All right. We'll do our best. Thanks, Rob. We'll be right back. There's no greater love flow than he that layeth down his life for his fellow man. Our caller, Rob, was telling us about the poem by Lawrence Binion for the fallen, which is often read in memory of those fallen in uniform. They mingle not with their laughing comrades. Again, they sit no more. At familiar tables at home, they have no lot in our labor of the daytime. They sleep beyond England's foam. It's written by an Englishman. But where our desires and our hopes profound, felt as a wellspring that is hidden from sight to the innermost heart of their own land, they are known as the stars are known to the night. As the stars that shall be bright, when we are dust moving in marches upon the heavenly plain as the stars that are starry in the time of our darkness to the end, to the end, they remain. Last thing I'll say about Memorial Day before something special I'll do for you in the next hour. I was always moved by Harry Jaffa's dedication in one of his books published in 1975. One of his books called The Conditions of Freedom. You may have heard me do this before. I hope it gives you an idea of to how special a teacher this man was, but how special a person to the person we remember on Memorial Day. Billy Peterson was one of my students at Claremont Men's College. We had formed a friendship of the kind that young men and older ones sometimes do form when they are fellow hobbyists or fellow enthusiasts of a sport bicycling in our case many mornings saw the two of us before dawn wheeling eastward through the foothills of the san gabriel mountains when the pace slackened and when the ride was over we talked constantly of a wide variety of subjects most of them political yet i cannot recall that military service was a question or problem in his mind although no generation in american history was ever so racked or tormented by it as was his he was neither an object himself nor belligerent towards those who did object, yet he was a highly intelligent young man as capable as any of examining the opinions of those about him. His patriotism was so natural to him that I think he was hardly aware of it. Billy volunteered for the Naval Air Service. He volunteered for the Helicopter Corps. He volunteered for service in Vietnam. When his tour of duty there was complete, he learned that his replacement would not arrive at the unit for ten days. Rather than subject the men with whom he had served to extra duty, he volunteered once more to serve until his replacement arrived. On the second day after answering his final call, he was killed in action. Besides numerous lesser decorations, 
Billy was awarded the Navy Air Medal with Strike Flight Numeral 25. He also received the Navy Commendation Medal. Bill Peterson was a scholar, an athlete, an officer, and a gentleman. He was one of those golden lads of whom A.E. Hausman wrote, who went to war not gaily, but without a doubt that freedom and duty spoke with a single voice. Had he lived, he might have served his country with distinction in any other post of honor or responsibility, and it is with deep affection and gratitude I dedicate to his memory this book, The Conditions of Freedom. Freedom and Duty, Speaking with a Single Voice. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.